and welcome this week to this edition of The Scots in Us. We're going to turn our attention to Pittencreef, to Dunfermline, and I'm delighted that we're able to be joined by a Gillian Taylor who is going to tell us all about what is going on at Pittencreef. Gillian is the CEO of the Dunfermline Carnegie Trust. And so, Gillian, without more ado, how are you? Good morning, Camilla. I'm very well, thank you. And I wondered if, before we can speak about Pittencreef, which is such a wonderful project, and we're very proud to be playing a small role in it, um, if you could tell us and set the scene about Andrew Carnegie, the man who, though he left and moved to the United States as a young boy, never forgot Dunfermline, never forgot Scotland, never forgot his roots. And so let's hear from you a little bit more about that side of things first. Yes, of course. Um, well, I'm, I'm based here in Dunfermline in Scotland and Andrew Carnegie was born here. He was born in 1835 um, to a, a weaving family in the town. Um, now the family fell on, on hard times really, um, there, there wasn't a, a big um, lot of desire for, for handloom weaving at that time. So they emigrated to America when Andrew Carnegie was just 12 years old. So he did leave his hometown here in Scotland when he was 12, but never ever forgot it. Um, he went off, the family went off to America for a better life and they settled in Pittsburgh and young Andrew was, didn't go to school after that. His education ended at that time, um, but he was a very clever boy and he started working in a cotton mill and then he started working as a telegram boy, um, training himself on Morse code and he became a self-educated man, borrowing books from private libraries, um, eventually working on the railroads. And when he was working on the railroads, he realized that there was a real need for steel. Um, so he started investing into steel and built up a huge steel empire in Pittsburgh. And that's really how he made his vast fortune. Um, so when he sold his steel empire, he became the richest man in the world at that time. Uh, but he's a very Scottish man, um, Scottish roots and Scottish morals. And he had a belief ever since he was a young man that a man who dies rich dies disgrace. That was his motto. So he spent the remainder of his life, the last sort of 30 years of his life, giving away this vast fortune on a variety of um, projects and ideas close to his heart. So he's probably best well known for um, founding public libraries because education was so important to him. But he also funded uh, universities and colleges. He funded science and research. He um, also was a pacifist and he funded peace and democracy as well. So he's um, a really interesting character. 
and he certainly didn't forget his Scottish roots. He was so proud of his hometown of Dunfermline and he came back to Scotland often. He had a, a holiday house in the Scottish Highlands called Skibo, but he came back to his hometown of Dunfermline often and left an endowment for the people of his hometown. Um, and with that endowment, we um, still carry on the work that he does, that he wanted us to do here. And he asked us to spread sweetness and light. That's what he asked us to do. So it was all about the people that lived here and improving their life and quality of life here. But he, he also, amongst all these large projects he did, as you say, the, the support of the soul of a person, and when they're not maybe having a lot in their lives, being able to hear wonderful music. So I love the fact that of all the organs he put into the churches in the United States, but also back in Scotland and the UK, and also the libraries, of course, because everybody should be able to have a book. Because he was quite naughty as a child, wasn't he? He wasn't, he was quite rebellious about different things. And uh, that, in fact, is how Pit and Creep came to be in his sights as something for the people. Yes, he, he was a, an active child, I think, and a, and a very inquisitive child. Inquisitive. Um, better. Yeah, <laughs> very inquisitive more than naughty. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, his family were um, were well known in the town as well. You know, they, they, they um, were striving to improve things in um, the quality of life for people here. And yes, Pitt and Creef, um, Andrew was born in a little cottage on the outskirts of Pitt and Creef estate. It was a private estate at that time. And his cottage, his family's cottage, um, was based just outside the gates. And Andrew used to peer through the, the gates into this wonderful um, estate and gaze and wonder. And it was it, he really wanted that to be his playground. He thought it was such a beautiful place. Um, so he used to climb over the gates and then get chased out by the gamekeeper. Um, so he took great delight when he made his fortune in coming back to Dunfermline and actually buying that private estate and gifting it to the people of Dunfermline. And Pit and Creef today is a, a public recreational park and that's what our project is doing just now. Well, and it's a wonderful park. I mean, it's 85 acres, I think, isn't it? Yes, it's just over 80. Yeah, there's a glen, there's a waterfall. And then there's this wonderful house that can be transformed. It's halfway there into a wonderful centre. Could you tell us a little bit about the house? Yes, yeah, so at the heart of the park, there is um, Pitt and Creef Houses, the former Laird's House of the park. And it's a beautiful um, 16th century building. Um, it has a strong um, historical link um, in there. There's, there's several families connected to that house who, which also, who also um, went to America. So, for example, General... Uh, Forbes, um, who named Pittsburgh, he was was born and brought up in in Pitt and Creef House. 
um, and there's strong connections because the park sits next to Dunfermline Abbey and Palace. Dunfermline used to be the ancient capital of Scotland, so there's strong royal connections and there's also connections to um, Robert the Bruce, who is buried in the abbey next to the park, and William Wallace, who um, also spent time in the park. So um, there's, there's several families um, involved in the house as well. And the house um, has been lying empty for a few years now, but it, it has got huge potential. Um, so what we're wanting to do is to, to reopen and repurpose the house as a visitor experience um, centre, which tells these wonderful stories of all the families and the history of this beautiful park, but also use the house for weddings and events um, and exhibitions. It's a lovely space to do that. Um, and so that's what we're planning to do through this project. The park is used every day of the year by so many people. And you already have um, a very lovely restaurant and a playground. And you do festivals there. You do a festival in September. You've just finished one, haven't you? Yes, the, the park is wonderful. It's got great outdoor and indoor spaces. Um, and as you say, it's got a lovely setting. It looks over onto um, the, the Forth Road bridges, the bridges that go into Edinburgh, and it has the um, wonderful Abbey, Dunfermline Abbey and Palace um, as part of the Vista as well. So yes, we do lots of activities. It's an all year round park. It's not a seasonal park. We do lots of activities and events um there but there's opportunity to do even more Dunfermline has recently um been granted city status by the late Queen Elizabeth um so what we're finding is that um we're now becoming uh, a, a destination a tourist destination um for people to come and there's lots of people who want to come and find out about our history and our heritage and the beautiful things that we have here so the park plays a really important part in that because it sits right at the city centre um, and it links into the heritage quarter. And it, so it's a local park for local people to love and enjoy and exercise. Um, but it's also a park for tourists and international visitors. And we're really keen to encourage other people to come and enjoy our park as much as we do. I think something that people don't always understand, because, you know, especially in America, we, driving three hours is nothing for us. And I remember when I was showing someone the distance on the map, but to ask them how far they thought Glasgow to Edinburgh was. And they said three, four hours, thinking of a US map. And I, I said, no, you know, 40 minutes. Um, and that's a wonderful thing, is that, Actually, Dunfermline is very close to Edinburgh and can take you on this wonderful trajectory up the East Coast and then be a wonderful base for which you could go up to Dundee or explore further up from there. I mean, I think it's, it's such a great way to bring people to the eastern side of Scotland. They go so much to the west and to the islands that side. And it's, it's lovely. It's so beautiful. 
Yes, you're absolutely right, Camilla. There's, there's lots to do in the east east side of Scotland. I mean, Edinburgh is obviously our capital, but as you say, we're so close to Edinburgh. We're we're 30 minutes on the train from from Edinburgh, and we're actually only a 20 minute drive from Edinburgh Airport. So the location of Dunfermline is really really good. We're based in the Kingdom of Fife, which is just over the Forth from Edinburgh, um, on the east coast. Um, Fife's probably best known for St Andrews, the home of golf, um, and so we're very close to St Andrews, we're close to Dundee. So Dunfermline is a great stop-off if you're doing an East Coast tour of, of Scotland. And there is so much to see here. Um, you know, it's a really interesting place, lots of history and heritage um, and beautiful spaces to visit. And they can and people can visit Andrew Carnegie's birthplace. Which they is fascinating. Can. They can, they absolutely can. So the little cottage that I was talking about earlier, where Andrew was brought up, um, really in poverty, the family lived in one room upstairs and the, the weaving went on downstairs. So the cottage was actually bought by Andrew Carnegie's wife, Louise, as a surprise present for his 60th birthday. Um, and so it was then handed over to the Carnegie Dunfermline Trust and we um, run it as a museum. And there's a, there's a, a, a large um, Art Deco Museum Hall was added on in the 1920s to the museum. But the museum's a fascinating, fascinating insight into um, the life of Andrew Carnegie. And people can see what humble beginnings he really started in to then become this, the richest man in the world. But also the museum also tells the story of philanthropy and the joy of giving and how Andrew Carnegie has really encouraged um, modern day philanthropists to think about, you know, their money. And, and if they've made a lot of money, how they can use that for the greater, greater good. Um, and so it's an inspiration to, to modern day philanthropists. Um, and we still do honour to our Carnegie family of institutions. We still do honour modern day philanthropists through Carnegie Medals of Philanthropy as well. And the, the museum really does tell the story about all these ideas that Andrew had for how he wanted his money to be spent and how they're still carrying on today, whether it's through um, as you say, you know, libraries or through the Peace Palace in The Hague in the Netherlands or through um, the Carnegie institutions that are in the States or Carnegie Hall in New York. I mean, there, there's so many different things that Andrew was interested in, um, that inquisitive mind, you know, and, and so he left these legacies for us to carry on his work, which we do today. Well, I'm so grateful to have had this chance to talk with you and, and discuss and be able to share with everybody a little bit more about this wonderful project, which we're just beginning to share over here. I feel there's so many ways for the um, those who have direct connections, whether they be Morrison's, Bruce's, Forbes or Wallace's, um, to become involved, but for everybody too, because Andrew Carnegie touches the lives of all of us in so many ways. Um, and this is a wonderful if we can help to bring Pitt and Creep House through to the next stage of its life, because that is what you're doing. And congratulations, Gillian. Thank you for all you're doing and for sharing it with us today.
Yeah, thank you, Camilla. Yes, you're absolutely right. You know, the this Andrew Carnegie gifted this park 120 years ago, and it's, it's a wonderful park, but we really want to shape the next 100 years because we think it's such an important gift. He always described it as his most soul-satisfying gift of everything he did, which says a lot for you know the amount of money that Andrew Carnegie gave away and the gifts he did. So we're really keen for our American friends to help us shape the next chapter as well, and that's why we're really pleased to be working with you so that we can get that input from our friends in the States um, to help us shape the next hundred years of this wonderful park. Well, we're going to try to do our best. Okay. Very best wishes to you. Thank, Thank you, you too, Camilla. Thank you.